now listening to the enter vr podcast i'm chris miranda your host and today i'm speaking with aaron staten and dr marielle kern um did i pronounce that properly dr kern no it's a lot easier than it looks it's just mary alice but that i in the middle there messes people up mary alice ah okay well thank you so much Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I apologize for I. This is a, an ongoing tradition. I murder people's names. Um, I don't yeah, do it on I, purpose. That right. I got yours right. Um, but for some reason, uh, well, we'll listen. Let's move on from names before I continue embarrassing myself. <laughs> Dr. Kern, uh, let's start with you. What are you up to? Tell me a bit about yourself. What's uh, tell? Yeah, let's let's start with that. <laughs> sure, that sounds great. Um, I'm a professor and the department chair of the kinesiology department at San Francisco State University. And we're working on a lot of different things, but the things that are related to um, VR got started about a year and a half, probably almost two years ago now, when Aaron approached me to ask about the possibility of actually evaluating exercise and gaming together and how we would do that. And uh, we discussed all kinds of ways and we got a chance to do that with the first project that's now been published. First authors, Dulce Gomez, where we were actually measuring oxygen consumption or your metabolic rate while you do activities, which is kind of what the exercise physiology people do, of which I am one. Uh, my background had nothing to do with virtual reality. I was uh, interested in metabolism. And so this is a point of that. You're looking at metabolic rate, but I went to school at Berkeley and got my undergrad and doctoral degrees there and postdoc around the country and landed at San Francisco State. Nice. I have so many questions to ask you, but before we get there, Aaron, mm-hmm. uh, uh, tell me about yourself. Uh, yeah, let's start there. Man, I, why am I being weird today? <laughs> because I think the podcast is more interesting to listen to the weirder it gets. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so so uh, my my background is very is, is a bit different. Um, uh, I, I've, I've struggled a bit with trying to figure out how to explain to people what I do, and I tend to fall back on the thing. I, I work at the intersection between storytelling and technology. Um, so back in the day, I worked in the video game industry for about seven years uh, as a journalist for the New York Times company, and then uh, got involved in uh, entrepreneurial space, started a company called BookLamp, which was, which was focused on using machine learning to try to teach computers how to read books. Um, had a really very interesting time doing that for a while in the publishing industry. Um, we sold that company to Apple in 2014, and then I took over as the I kind of led the efforts in the iBooks product marketing group uh, for about three and a half years. And then during that time and before it, I was really really super fascinated with VR. Um, you know, early in my career, I did not have the the ability to kind of you know work in VR full time. But then later later on after the acquisition, I was in a bit more of an independent position. And so I, I, I dove in to become a uh, professional VR enthusiast, I guess you'd call it. Uh, and through that, I've, I've done a number of things. So um, uh, executive producer on a game called Quiver, which has done pretty well for itself. Um, 
My, my partner on that, Jonathan Schinker, is the primary developer and creator, and I, I support that. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's been, it was one of the top 25 games of 2017, and we think it's going to be in the top 40 of 2018, but the, the data hasn't come out yet. Um, I'm also the director of what's called the VR uh, Institute of Health and Exercise, which is what Dr. Kern and I are, work on together and what we'll be talking about. And uh, yeah, I, I invest in, mentor, or advise a number of different VR companies in the market. Very cool. Um, I know why I'm being weird. I'm being weird because I'm so excited to speak to you <laughs> both about this. I like, and I just have like my brain is like firing up on all cylinders, just trying to figure out like which direction we I want to head in. And I think the and I think I figured out. Uh, Dr. Kern uh, and Aaron um, mm. does um, does different brain states affect the body's metabolic rate so for example if i'm in a flow state like do will that affect my metabolic rate versus me being in a panic state and the way the reason why i ask that is because you know in v in virtual reality like i can experience um a horror game that will give me a really good workout right but i wonder if that that the fact that i'm in a panicked state you know, I wonder if that is affecting my my better my metabolic rate. Whereas, if I were in a in a, in a beat saber or in a boxing game where I enter a flow state, does that affect my metabolic rate? Have we done like you know studies of, uh, uh, at that level of um, how you know VR affects the brain and the brain affects the metabolic rates of the body? Um, to answer your first question, very simply, yes. It, you're you're state of arousal is probably the, the most commonly used word in the physiology field. And certainly that can increase your metabolic rate. If, you, if you're scared, then your body has a whole, a whole host of hormonal responses that it goes through and that will you know, increase your heart rate and increase your um, breathing rate and all of those things cost energy, hence they increase your metabolic rate. But we haven't looked at just like horror games. Um, I mean, we have things coming at you. Uh, certainly, Aaron can talk about in Quiver, I know you can have all these different monsters come out or attacking you from different sides. That just increases your awareness, your activity, just as if you were outside running around and a monster came after you. Yeah, your, your heart rate is so, going to go up. Dr. Kern, actually, I have a yeah. question. Because <laughs> I did, I, um, do, you, do you know of any studies that's been done, not, not specific to VR necessarily, but um, like do you have a percentage of metabolic increase that like somebody who's um, scared versus somebody who's calm? Like, is there a number on that? Do we know of? Oh, there's, there's plenty of that stuff, but it, those kinds of things are usually for the arousal state, very short lived. Yeah. And I, I imagine relatively small, like I can't imagine. Uh, uh, no, you no? can, your heart rate can go. Let's, let's put you in a car. And somebody cuts you off and you just have almost immediately into an accident, but you panicked, you were able to divert that car, your heart rate goes up massive, two, threefold right. before you actually want two or threefold, you're at 60, so 180, so it doubles to get to your max level, but it comes back down inside of two, three minutes because mm -hmm. you averted the issue. Um, whereas, you know, the things that we've been looking on as far as VR goes and the metabolic ranges there, we're looking at the trend over the last like five minutes somebody is playing. So they're in a, what we call steady state. So we know where their metabolic rate is during that period of time. It's not just a transient up and down, but oh yeah, you can, you can put all kinds of electrodes either on someone's head 
and certainly around their heart, and you can measure everything fairly accurately. And if you did something to counteract a, a scared, a frightened response, you'll see it go right up, and then it comes right back down. I have now learned something new in this podcast, and it's only like five minutes in. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. That's awesome. I um, I have so much to learn still, so let's keep going. Uh, so, you know, an, another thing that I wanted to, I, I was wondering about is like, uh, what is what is the ultimate goal of utilizing virtual reality um, to, you know, enhance the way we learn and study about the brain, uh, not the brain, the, the brain and I guess and the body um, when it comes to like, you know, physicality and, and exercise like, you know, where, where, you know, if you could paint me your vision of what it looks like. You know, the day, like, what the, the one day it'll come, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, mm -hmm. it's going to be ubiqu ubiquitous. And I want to see what that vision looks like or hear what that vision looks like from you. Um, I'll defer to Aaron. He does this really well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to pass back the, the kind of the, the though, though, um, uh, while I have spent an awful lot of time thinking about what the that vision of the future looks like, it's it's um, not my vision alone, right? There's a lot of people that work yeah. on this. Dr. Kern is is one of the the primary, but everybody's got their own take on it. Um, but there's really kind of three aspects to virtual reality and exercise that I get super excited about. Uh, the first is the one that most people kind of jump to, and is the one that I'm least excited about, which is that virtual reality is fun exercise. Um, I I agree with that. I think, you know, and there's lots of uh, kind of emerging data suggests that like pain management and perception of discomfort exercise included while exercising is in VR is, is less. Um, but uh, the way I describe this is that for step for one is that all exercise equipment has a decay rate, right? So if I, if I buy an elliptical or a treadmill, um, I, I use it a lot the first week, I use it a little less the second week and a little less the third week and eventually it gets to the point where I haven't touched it for quite a while, right? Um, and most people agree that that is the life expectancy of, of exercise equipment. Like nobody gets surprised when, when you say that. But what people often forget is that um, everything has a decay rate. My PS4 launch titles have a decay rate. I bought my PS4. I played the launch titles a lot the first week. You know, I played them for 40 to 60 hours. And after a while, I beat them and I, I put them away. And I have not now played a launch title on my PS4 in years. Um, I have played the PS4, though. Right. And so the, the value proposition of VR number one is not just fun exercise. It is refreshable exercise, right? It is exercise that is that I can go in and for 40 to 60 bucks, I can um, start that decay rate over again. The same way, but to a more powerful extent, that uh, an elliptical becomes more interesting when you're watching the Game of Thrones versus when the Game of Thrones gets over, right? <laughs> um, but uh, so, so the combination of that refreshable ability and the fact that it's fun, I think, is, is makes the adoption of AR and VR and exercise inevitable. It solves too many problems for too many people in the sense like most people really don't like exercise and we kind of suck at it. And so um, giving people something that they enjoy doing this good exercise, but is beyond what is possible in real life is has a lot of power. Um, and then the, the final component to it that I think is really, really interesting and the one that I think will be disruptive to the, the whole industries of the future, uh, you know, all of exercise in the next five to 10 years, is that um, VR and AR uh, is the first exercise equipment that uh, the artificial intelligence loop is useful, right? So if I had a treadmill in the day, um, you know, 
20 years ago, I could easily have had a treadmill that knew my heart rate and knew that I wanted my heart rate to be in a certain zone. And it might, you know, increase the steepness of the, of the treadmill. All right, or something all done. Sorry. Someone called in on my phone and I'm using my phone. I can't get into Skype on my computer. So I apologize for that. Um, so, so yeah, like the second, but that the second component, which I think is really, or the final component, which I think is really interesting in VR and exercise, is yeah, the, the AR and the VR is the first generation of equipment that allows uh, a responsive, a meaningful communication between the the, the person's uh, targets, the artificial intelligence controlling the game, and then the um, the uh, the data coming from the human body, right? So. As I was going back to the example, the the treadmill, like yeah, we we could have treadmills that were aware of your biometrics and aware of your targets and try to adopt, but you can't do much really with it, right? You can't really make the treadmill that much more effective. Um, but VR is different. AR is different. I can I can have a game that knows that I need my heart rate to go up, and the game can on the fly adjust itself um, so the monsters become more aggressive, or they back off during cool down times, or the levels that are selected when you start the game are totally different based upon your targets for the for the day. And I think that, that what, we, what I refer to as either the responsive exercise loop or uh, the AI-perfected exercise loop, um, that I think is incredibly powerful. That's a, a lot to unpack. Yeah, uh, so sorry, thank I talk you. a lot. No, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, you know, I, I, going back to a, a little bit earlier, in it, or just more ground-level uh, thinking, uh, have we, has there been comparative studies wherein you'll have say something like a tennis team or a boxing team right and um and one and and so you, you'll have two actually two sets of each one set of tennis players and then another set of tennis players and then like one of them one of the sets of teams has uh has vr simulation training access and the mm -hmm. other team does not have vr simulation training access but they they have the cream of the crop of the best training methods right and then you Team pair them off against each other, and then have we seen like you know, does VR have a real world effect in providing athletes a competitive advantage over others that wouldn't have this technology? That's a great question, and and Aaron can give you his personal experience because he kind of did his own experiment on himself, learning to play ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that was a, a project that I was working on where I wanted to see if you could translate real-world uh, game mechanics and, and learnings into the real world. And so I, uh, I never actually did the final step. But what the first part of it was is that I was uh, learning to play tennis in eleven table tennis, the VR game. And um, I have not played table tennis probably in twenty or thirty twenty years, right? Um, not since maybe college. And um, yeah. So, so basically, what I was doing was I would I would record my score, uh, every every single point I gained, every single point I, I lost cumulatively, and I was learning how to play table tennis. And my goal was is to get to the point where I could consistently beat the intermediate or better uh, player in the game. And then I was going to go down to the local uh, tournament. They have a once a month ranked tennis, a table tennis tournament here in San Jose, and I was going to go enter it, uh, having never played table tennis or not played table tennis in the last twenty years and see how well I did. I'd either be massively beaten to a pulp by people or uh, I would do okay. And either one of those is going to be an interesting outcome. 
Um, but I can say I, I did break my rule of not. So I, I, while I was learning in, in VR, I had this rule that I wouldn't play table tennis. And I did break it at a family gathering uh, a few months ago where I played my cousin and um, I was by far the best player there. <laughs> so, huh. um, but to your huh. point, though, I think I think I'm not sure entirely that it's it's right to look at VR from a training standpoint as saying is it better than the best we have. Is it, yeah. but is it better than what most people have access to? Um, I, I think that there are absolutely characteristics in, in VR that would give people access to better training, better feedback, um, kind of better motivation, better gamification, um, that in absence of having a professional coach at a, at a private club somewhere helping you, that these things could be very powerful, very helpful. I, I always wonder about the limits of simulation training when it comes to VR. Cause I, cause you know, for example, if, if you had, if there was a, a virtual reality chess game mm -hmm. and you had to play chess in VR and you had a thousand matches doing chess in VR, you could easily carry, carry that over to the real world and go like, you know, play people mm -hmm. in the real world. Like that, that skill would carry over. But the like physical it's is different, right? Yeah. So, and so the other, the other version of this, I was actually thinking about pitching upload VR on a series of these things, and then I just didn't have time. But like um, the other one I wanted to do was I wanted to learn how to do street art. Uh, specifically, what I was going to do is take like uh, King Spray, Graffiti Simulator or whatnot, and then find a YouTube video and in VR, try to learn how to reproduce a YouTube video of street art well and, and count how many times it took me to do it. So like you know, um, it took me 20 attempts before I got to the point where I could in VR paint a good street view, or, you know, just a good street art. And then I was going to go down to the store and I was going to buy all the equipment and I was going to do the exact same thing in my garage. And I was going to count the number of times in real life then that I had to re do it before I got to the same level of quality. And my guess was that, that I would spend probably 80% to 70% of my time in VR and that that last 30% of translating the, the skills I learned in VR over into, you know, I can, I can figure out how to do in, in the game the distance you hold and the, and, the, and the strokes, but then I have to learn how to simulate, like, how much do I push down the trigger on the nozzle in the real life kind of thing to get the same spray quality yeah. and consistency. And so um, I actually am very interested in those sort of things, like how to think and, and figure out. But I, th I think my number, I think 60 to 70 to 80% of of training in VR will probably carry over to real life. Yeah, and I, I, I and I going back to like figuring out where the limits of that are because yes, you can do that with Kingsbury, you, you can do that to with chess, but for example, do can you do that with something like boxing, like Creed? Yes. Like I remember, um, I used to train martial arts back in the mm -hmm. day, and and the and sparring with someone, I always felt like it was kind of like a dance. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, and it was, um, and, and I, and it was one of those things where like, uh, it was really expensive on my body, mm -hmm. uh, cause health insurance is expensive in America and you get injured and you have to pay for that shit. And so that's not, and so after a while you realize, I was like, you know what, you know, it's not, it doesn't make financial sense for me to keep injuring myself, but I still missed it. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered Creed, the boxing game that had that multiplayer experience mm -hmm. where you had get to spar with people, I got all of that like thrill minus the pain and injury. And I realized, I started realizing, I was like, wow, you know, I'm like, I'm ducking, I'm weaving, I'm blocking, I'm punching, I'm putting together combinations, I'm seeing how other people put together combinations. Sure, I'm not getting hit, 
But if I were in a real fight in real life, my adrenaline would be rushing and I wouldn't feel the punches, most of the punches either. So I'm, and so, but, but I always like have this like thoughts that, you know, that I'm wrestling in my head. I'm like, but, uh, but, you know, but my head, my brain will say like, but you'll still won't step in the real ring for real. <laughs> like well, like you, you feel like you feel like a badass in there, you know, beating up 12 year olds, but you won't do it for real, Chris. And I'm like, yeah, I won't, you know, because it's yeah, just, I, I don't know. If, what you, do you think? if you would, um, if you picked any other sport, you said boxing and I was like, yes, you can definitely do it. Like, um, like if yeah. it's a tennis or wrestling or something like that, then, then, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it, you apply a little bit of, of common sense to it. Boxing, we know that when measuring people in the lab that boxing um, has a calorie expenditure that's somewhat similar to real world brawling, or like, uh, not, not brawling, um, sparring. Uh, and because the movements you do in boxing and the movements you do in boxing in VR are actually highly similar. A lot of dodging, a lot of ducking, a lot of weaving, a lot of punching. Mm-hmm. Um, little less dancing, right? But, um, but still pretty similar. But other things like, um, you know, the Wall Street Journal did an article, or did a little video thing segment a while back, which was such a good idea. And then it came out kind of a little off um, where they wanted to, to look at somebody playing a tennis game and see if it did a same amount of exercise as playing real tennis. And the problem is, is that we don't know of a tennis game that actually mimics the energy calorie like the exact movements of tennis right you maybe you can help somebody with the serve and things like that if you had a well-programmed um game but like it's not going to mimic the full back and forth running of stuff and so um their conclusion was that it wasn't that tennis and real tennis in the game and tennis in real life are different which is yes uh no doubt um, but that is that there are still games that cause as much energy consumption as tennis but uh, whether or not teach you how to do tennis better, that you know, it really depends on what it makes a program to support that. So, in answer to part of that, what Aaron having chosen ping pong or table tennis to play, that's a perfect sport for that because you can get the skills. If you can get the timing down with the ball and the swing, you're not having to run back and forth. You know, unless you're one of those professional level ping pong players from China that stand 30 feet behind the table. Most <laughs> of us stand me. close. To, yeah. It, you know, you have like a four foot radius to lean or maybe to take a step to the right or the left. When you're playing actual tennis, obviously you're on a tennis court and the, the dimensions of that are nothing. You're not going to be able to do that in your garage or inside your house. So I think anytime the uh, the movement is one to one, I think it increases the likelihood of being good training. So boxing, I think pretty well because um, you're basically moving one to one table tennis because I actually have to sidestep left and right about the same distance in the VR game as I would in the real game. Tennis is probably less because you have to call it travel travel a lot of distance. Um, you know, so I think there are aspects of different sports that are better suited than others. Yeah, it's super interesting to see you know, where this is all headed because there, I see this as the beginnings of like the next esports revolution. Like this is going to be the, 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 the fusion of, you know, physicality and technology, you know, all in one, like, mm. and we'll see like, you know, you just to go, you know, into the rabbit hole for a second, like, is there a possibility that one day we might see like virtual reality sports in the Olympics? Like, like, 
it, 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 I can't see. I personally you know, think it'd be augmented reality sports and Olympics. First. Mm, yes, right. I think you're right. Do yeah. I really think that the mainstream audience is going to want to watch a bunch of people swinging around in, in the Olympics? Probably not. Um, but I think that you'll see people wearing glasses in yeah. in the Olympics uh, long before we have a dedicated sport for it. Like, do I think in 100 years it's possible that we have a sport that doesn't exist today that is augmented reality sport that's in the Olympics? Sure. I think that's totally mm -hmm. reasonable. Yeah. Um, but I think first what we're going to see it is, is that the existing sports will start adopting AR tool sets in the existing games first. Another mm -hmm. question to go, that goes back to ground level, you know, and Dr. Kern, feel free to um, uh, let me know your thoughts on this one. Do we, do we know... Um, at what point um, muscle memory gets kicked in? Like, like if I were, if I wanted to, like, um, if I wanted to do, if I, if I wanted to learn how to juggle, for example, like, mm -hmm. like, is there a way for me to, like, or a technique for me to say and be self-aware of the realization? Oh, okay, it's muscle, it's uh, it's locked into muscle memory. And does using virtual reality to train um, people how to juggle or people how to play tennis, like? Does that have, you know, uh, are there studies that show that like, hey, um, you know, muscle memory gets locked in faster inside of a virtual environment because here, 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 or are we still too early to figure these things out? Well, unfortunately, we're still too early. The only things uh, that we know of really, and we think some people are trying in other places across the country to start to do some of these studies, but we're pretty much the only one who's looked at actual exergaming or the effect of exercise on metabolic rate or how much workout you're getting. So we haven't looked at muscle memory, but I think those people who have been doing virtual reality for a long time, once they go back in the game after they've left it for a day, you know, you never play the game the first time as well as you did the second time and the third time, just like you do when you're going out and learning to play tennis or learning to play basketball. But, but I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be there. If you've played the same game several times, you're going to remember everything just like you had if you were out on a court. Mm. But we haven't we haven't done anything to actually quantify that. Yeah, our um, our mission and kind of the VR Health Institute stuff is is so so the way this works is that there's the VR Health Institute, which is a ratings organization, right? Essentially, it exists to have people try out various different VR games so we can assess and rate that game for its energy cost, right? Um, and then we have uh, also graduate students will come in and have individual projects that they'll dive, deep dive into, which can be much broader around like muscle activation or uh, starting to touch on things like um, engagement and um, motivation and stuff like that. But what we, we really, you know, touching back a little bit on the will there ever be a Olympic sport that is VR or AR enabled kind of thing like the the part of the reason we exist is because there's there's a lot of pretty substantial barriers between us and where that's gonna go do I believe it's gonna get there yes I believe that we'll we'll get in that direction but um, one of the big ones uh, actually is people's just understanding about whether or not it is in fact exercise um, mm -hmm. going back to one of your earlier questions about uh, like the physical state um, of like, are you scared or not? And how's that affecting your metabolic, metabolic rate? Um, the way that this all came about in a lot of ways was that I was, I was playing audio shield, which is, um, if you're not familiar with it, it is a fairly active game. And, 
Uh, I had been playing it, according to Steam, somewhere between, at that point, like 100 to 120 hours. And I realized that if it was, in fact, exercise, which I felt like it was um, on the higher difficulties, that like it was by far the most effective exercise equipment I'd ever owned. And so I wrote an article. Um, I can't remember if it was for upload or if it was just on my blog or what. But it was this article that basically took, and I, I bought an off-the-shelf heart rate monitor, and I, I wrote an article that was highest observed heart rate games to lowest observed heart rate games of the ones I'd played. And the response in the to the public like forms that was was one that I'd seen before when I covered exercise and gaming around the Wii Fit and so forth years ago, which was about 70% of people tend to think this is amazing. Like, this is a really good idea. And then about 30% of the people, it was like you were challenging a worldview. <laughs> like they, 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 they were very angry. <laughs> mm. um, like I, there was regularly, you know, comments like, uh, you know, like basically dumb gamers get off the couch go play a sport be feel good about yourself for the first time in your life mm. um, uh, or a lot of times it was like oh your heart rate is up because of adrenaline you know there's a guy coming at you and so your heart rate's up it's not real exercise all these reasons for why it is that, that the heart rate that i was seeing was not actually indicative of actual exercise and and people being very very vehement about that right and these quotes of people saying things like those here who are supporting this guy and like trying to exercise in VR are harming him by enabling his delusions. And um, why the resistance? Why is this? Why are people so resistant? Is something so obvious? That I'm, are we weird or are they weird? Who's weird here? <laughs> we are all weird. Um, no, but I think, I think it's just. Oh, go ahead, Doctor. <laughs> no, I, I, it seemed like they just didn't want to accept the possibility that you could actually get some exercise. They're used to thinking of video games sitting on a couch with your thumb twitching on a toggle. They're not used to thinking about video games where you are physically standing and having to move around to be a part of a game. And they just hadn't even gotten there yet. I don't know. Very strange comments to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, you know, I think there's a number of kind of layers in this. One is that we've spent the last 30 years telling people that healthy lifestyle and video games don't mix, right? If you want to be unattractive and overweight, go down and play World of Warcraft in your basement with no friends, right? Um, that's, that's, there's, there's South Park parodies of this, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a part of it. I think there's another part that, of, of, of people that, that some people who are already into exercise, who are already happy with CrossFit, who are already happy with like P90X and like the really intense stuff, um, they're getting something out of it that is, that is not really doing it for the majority of the population. And so for that group, um, that the idea, I mean, we have phrases around things like no pain, no gain, which is, which is the fundamental opposite of what, you know, enjoyable exercise is, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we've built in this concept of the hardcore exercise things that you have to experience the pain in order to get better. And, the, and I think for some people going in and saying, listen, it's actually possible to be healthy and actually never feel hurt of going through exercise and never like it is possible to make exercise just a really enjoyable thing that you'd like to do um mm -hmm. is is kind of a, is almost counterculture to a lot of a lot of people and so and there's also no data for it this is the where we came in really is that like the conversations would get circular at that point so maybe like i think it's exercise and somebody else would come in and be like i don't think it's exercise and somebody would be like i'm pretty sure it's exercise and somebody else would be like no it's not exercise right mm -hmm. and so we were like we needed some sort of a way to a scientific source you could point people to and say yes it's exercise it's this amount of exercise and then the conversation could evolve to how do we make it better exercise
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've tried to at least ahead, give them something. We've tried to at least give them something by trying to equate the amount of exercise you are actually getting with each of the games to something that everybody knows. So you're walking up a hill or you're jogging or you're swimming or you're bicycling. And we can quantify that because those numbers have been around and published in the exercise physiology literature for decades. So if we can say this is the same number that we got when we had somebody exercising on the treadmill and running at uh, six miles an hour, their oxygen consumption is the same as the oxygen consumption they uh, got while they were playing Audio Shield. And we can say, okay, this is just like running on a treadmill at six miles an hour. So then people could relate to it. Mm-hmm. And we've measured it. I mean, we have, as Aaron said, we have the data. We have the actual numbers. We The published paper is on 41 individuals, the mean score for playing these three games. And it showed exactly where they would be if they had been doing an exercise outside, which you normally think of. Yeah. And for the record, those three games were um, Audio Shield with an exercise mod installed, uh, Hollow Point, and Thrill of the Fight. That's uh, that's amazing. Um, my next question, um, and sorry for interrupting, Aaron, uh, but, yeah. uh, but uh, I just wanted to ask about, um, I've had Howard Rose on the podcast before, and Howard Rose from firsthand, I think he's, he's still, I think he's still doing firsthand. He used to do VR for pain management. Um, uh-huh. And what he discovered was that VR was really, really good uh, for like burn victims and people who mm-hmm. had chronic pain. Yeah. Um, and I wonder to like, what degree does that affect people's ability to exercise? Because one of the things that I found myself doing was, you know, forgetting that like I was that like an hour had passed by and I was still Mm -hmm. going at it, you know, and the next morning and, you know, for the next week, I would feel really, really sore, Mm -hmm. you know, and so... (laughs) And so it's sort of like a, it feels like a it sort of feels like a reverse U. Like at some point, like if you overdo it, you start getting diminishing returns. And I wonder, like you know, what your thoughts are on that phenomena. Like you know, how does this, you know, how, how does this, how do we like navigate this double-edged sword? So, uh, Dr. Kern, would you like to take a shot at that, or do you want me to go? Yeah. <laughs> What you're talking about is the same thing anybody gets with regular exercise, right? Admittedly, you went a little bit longer, similar to what Aaron was saying as far as seeing how many hours he clocked playing Audio Shield. I'm sorry, my teapot is whistling. I have to turn it off. <laughs> See what you this started over has here? has more I've... random background noises than any other podcast. <laughs> so, but people who exercise on a regular basis feel the same thing, right? You, you start out, you go out, and if you overdo it, then you're going to get sore, and you probably will take two days off. Depending on how much you want to get back into exercise, you'll eventually go back and do it again. But if you overdo it, you're going to get that exercise effect, and it's a training effect. And the muscles now, next time you go out, say, oh, that wasn't so bad. We can go ahead and do this again. But if you only did it once or twice your body won't uh, respond that way. That's the part of the reason we'd like people to exercise on a regular basis. So I think what you experienced was exactly what you should have been experiencing, given that you were exercising, and indeed you were. Mm -hmm. Now you just got to figure out how to train yourself to not get it. 
One of the other things that was interesting is so I remember we've referenced several times Dulcie's work. Uh, who, so I should actually also say, by the way, that because it's maybe confusing for people, um, the the VR Health Institute ratings. Uh, we try to rate lots of games um, individually, and so you can access. We publish those at uh, vrhealth.institute. It's the web address, um, and then and then we have these uh, like I said, graduate students will go in and do kind of deeper dives into things. And one of the first ones is uh, Dulcie's, um, and so that was that was forty student subjects, twenty male, twenty female, mostly kinesiology students, um, so relatively healthy people, I think, in general. Um, and uh, and so to the to the pain management question, like there was two effects in there I thought was we thought was very interesting. Was one is that first um, we had Dulce had people come in and do a VO2 max test without VR just to kind of assess their overall fitness. And throughout they would that they would she would ask them questions like uh, on on what's called a I think it's called a Borg sale scale, uh, which I remember because of yep. Star Trek. Um, <laughs> So the Borg scale basically is a, a, a perception of work, like how much effort do you think you're doing? And so you ask them throughout the, the VO2 max test to rate themselves uh, in terms. Of, and of course, at the end of the max test where you're running to exhaustion, you're rated pretty high. And then um, she had that same thing. She did that exact same thing when they had them bring back, come back a few days later uh, to, to test the VR stuff where they would ask them their perception of exercise on the Borg scale throughout that. And um, Dr. Kern, correct me if I if I'm getting the conclusion wrong, uh, but of the of the 40 participants, almost every single one of them at some point in time hit their kind of their, their physical max, the point where their oxygen is not converting fast enough to keep up with the demands of the body, and yet um, also almost nobody in the study reported that they felt like they were doing more work than kind of a moderate level of exercise on a treadmill. And so they were doing far more energy than they were aware of. And in fact, we had at least one person um, get done with it. And kind of afterwards, I, I remember asking what they were going to do for the rest of the day. And they go, I'm going to go to the gym and exercise because I need to get my workout in. <laughs> huh. he, because he just he didn't think of what he'd just done as exercise. I mean, like it was. It was burning the energy. It was doing the things like, you know, the, the top of the Met score that these games have peaked out at is, is similar to uphill competitive mountain biking like the Tour de France. And and yet he he got done running you know basically burning a level of energy for a period of time at, at that range and then got done and was like okay I need to go exercise now because I haven't done it yet. Yep. No, Aaron is right. It it is the Borg scale named after the scientist in Sweden who developed it and it goes from a, a range from six to twenty. And in the thrill of the fight game, we had a number of people that should have based on what their metabolic rate was should have been telling us that they were at 18 or 19 on that scale of 6 to 20. And they were still saying 16, 14, 16. And they were sweating up a storm and their heart rate was close to their maximum heart rate. But again, they didn't feel, they didn't perceive that they were actually working that hard, which is a really cool thing. That's yeah, why you would go on, like you had said, for an hour and not even realize that you had been exercising an hour. Oh, shoot. I probably should stop. <laughs> But it's also a double-edged sword because I think people, they don't, like, I think that's part of the reason why you get people who have access to VR equipment who play through all the fight and then afterwards, like, this is not comparable to regular exercise yeah. because they just don't see it as the same. Yeah, and it's uh, so interesting to what degree the brain is being tricked by the VR environment. Like, 
it's um the like with with me like uh, i'll be um you know i'll be playing creed and the music is blaring i'm surrounded by a crowd of people who are spectating and it's like uh and it and it almost feels like i'm in my own movie and um and in my own movie i always win or i do my best and it's just like uh and that tricking that weird you know space that you put the brain in because you know you you you're um was it 70% uh, dr Kern, for for uh correct me if i'm wrong but i think isn't isn't like 70% of the brain dedicated to vision like most of you know most of the brain is doing is processing vision uh i might be wrong here but like but you're tapping into like just by tapping into vision like you're you're like taking up a huge huge chunk of the brain to like you know and and you and you just take them along for your ride like I, my thinking is my thinking is is like um is this are we seeing the tip of the iceberg uh wherein one day we're gonna like create super soldiers like people who train better than before you know who are like better skilled and better able to like go get into like you know really really scary situations like is it is this like you know is this the beginning of that oh i hope not i mean that's certainly not what we're we're about we just wanted to show folks that yeah you can actually get some kind of great workout and use this virtual reality situation to help you do that to train soldiers to be not feeling any pain or not uh, and using vr though i know that many sporting groups like football players and stuff they have they'll use virtual reality to help the quarterbacks see the plays and he's not going to get creamed at the end of the the play but he can then help to read the the offense or the defense coming at him to make sure that he can still get the ball off and so forth. Many universities are doing that already, trying to train their athletes to be prepared for any situation by actually putting them in that, just like you were saying, you're in the in the ring and people are yelling and everything's all exciting. This way they can get a sense of how quickly they have to respond to be able to be successful. That kind of thing is already happening. I, I think a lot um... of universities. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to kick you off there. No, go ahead. Uh, this is the problem with not being able to see each other when you're talking again. I know, yeah. Um, uh, so so I think, uh, Chris, when there, there's some different, like there are different attributes of VR and augmented reality that will, that are disruptive in different verticals. I think for the exercise side of things, it's uh, one set of attributes. Like we've talked about the immersion of it, the, the ability to distract you from pain, stuff like that. Then for training, and I don't mean like, exercise training necessarily, I mean like skills training, uh, VR and augmented reality have a different set of attributes that I think make it disruptive there. Um, and a lot of them are actually very mundane. Like it's like you were saying, it's like learning to play boxing without having to worry about getting hit, right? <laughs> learning to box without getting hit, um, that's, a, that's a benefit. But I think the other one is a lot of times is uh, skill assessment is is so much easier in the virtual world. So I'm like, just think if I'm training somebody on a task of like, lining up a bunch of things on the shelf and they have to do it 300 times and um and at the end of it i'm going to give them a test in real life i don't really assess them until i take the test in vr i can tell you after the 50th time they attempted it what their error rate is i can tell you whether or not it's getting going up or it's down and i can place them on a predict, you know, predictive curve and and so i can i can uh figure out who needs help earlier on in the training process uh, or the education process like you know the ease of assessment in VR for tasks that are otherwise normally done in real life and hard to assess 
is a disruptive force in training. And so um, I think when you start talking about exercise and training and stuff, you start, these things start bleeding into each other. Um, and it really, you know, it's up to us to use them for good or evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were there any outliers in your research? Were there any like students that were like super like, you know, on the, on the like super high level or they were just like, or maybe they just like put it on and they got sick and just didn't want to use it for like a minute. Like, you know, what were the outliers and, and, and the research that were like, huh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't see that coming. Did you see any of that? We really didn't. Um, the, mm -hmm. the games, those three games that Aaron mentioned, nobody reported feeling any motion sickness. We've also looked at a couple of uh, programs that are conducive to getting sick, and those were mostly uh, things that are passing, going by you, kind of you're riding on a bicycle and, and the environment is changing around you and you're supposed to be riding through this and going up the hill and down and so forth. And that can, can mess with your equilibrium and your whole sense. But the games are getting much, much better at that now as well. Um, we didn't have anybody who, who did with those three games. Yeah, and outliers, right. as far as their measurements go, um, I guess probably the folks who were accustomed to playing VR games tried even harder than the ones who didn't and didn't know what they were doing. But on mm. average, they were pretty darn close. The data points all came out pretty close. Uh, I can add on that a little bit. Um, so I, I don't have any comment on the research side of things, but we've also worked... Um, with various different enthusiasts in the VR space, so like um, a Mashouf Wellness Center is a is the wellness center at San Francisco State University, and a beautiful facility that just recently opened about a year and a half ago um, or a year ago, and uh, they've been experimenting uh, with us at um, putting VR units in for access for their average gym goers. So not just um, VR enthusiasts, but people who are not technical people looking for interesting ways of getting exercise. Uh, also, we've been working with a fellow named Tim Donahue um, out of out of Columbus, Ohio, where they've got uh, some units set up in the fitness loft there, and we can actually book to use them like their personal trainers. They use their system to book a, a spot. And um, uh, so, so just like Dr. Kern said, the, my from what we've seen so far, with some relatively simple management around things like hygiene, uh, making sure you keep the units clean. Um, we've, we've not had much issue with, uh, people ha with motion sickness, partly because, you know, you pick the games that don't induce motion sickness. A lot of the one-to-one -one stuff does not seem to induce motion sickness. Um, if, if the character in the game is moving substantially different than, than others, then, than, than they are in real life, then it can cause issues. Um, I am aware of only one person who's ever, who, who stopped VR exercise because of, of motion sickness, um, in, in the in the context of the gym, and there was a, a woman who had actually been doing VR exercise in Ohio for a while, and um, uh, like she enjoyed it. She was coming back as a regular, and then they got a Verzoom unit, uh, which is a, a VR exercise bike, and she put that on her head, and within 30 seconds, like basically threw the unit off her head, and and said it made me feel really, really sick, and she never touched VR exercise again, like at all. Oh, no, yeah, it's so the, the poison the well effect. Yeah, so the consequences of somebody getting sick and, sick and exercise, for example, is way, way worse than just getting sick. At, like, nobody wants to go do an exercise that ruins the rest of their exercise. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go to the gym and feel crappy about it all day. Um, 
So there's definitely, I think it has to be something that's considered uh, important and, and thought of from a design standpoint. But again, there are plenty of games out there that are very, very good exercise that have uh, no indication that we've seen that it's an issue. So what's the best way to move forward with VR fitness at this point? Is it going to be like uh, direct-to-consumers? Is it going to be like partnering with enterprise like gyms? Like in my mind, it might be that it might be that yeah, like the first the first, the best thing to do is is gyms, but they they too have their their challenges. Where like you know, I uh, for me the idea the the whole point of being in VR, having access to VR at home is that like you know you can do all the telecommuting you could ever want like your gym your banking your like work you like all the things like you can do them in the virtual world like that's that's the whole i mean and maybe like i'm too far ahead and maybe the the, the stepping stone is gyms but like i wonder like you know w how do you see you know the best way forward for vr fitness like what strategies do you think mm -hmm. need to be incorporated well i i personally think that um this is going to be a bit of a, an underwhelming answer, but um, I think it's also the most important one I could possibly give, which is that we as a, as a community, the VR industry as a community, I think are not very good at talking about adoption curves by vertical. <laughs> we talk about adoption curves uh, around VR and AR as a single thing, and there is nothing in the data that suggests they should be. Like the adoption rate of VR and gaming should have a different speed, shape, and height than uh, adoption in exercise or training or education or any of these. Um, the value propositions of exercise in a gym are disruptive, but diff for different reasons than, than they are at the home exercise, right? You know, what is the role of price in the adoption curve in the gym versus home? Well, they're totally different because gyms buy equipment worth $2,000 without blinking too much of an eye but they're supposed to last for a certain period of time. So price is less important perhaps than durability or, or maintenance or all these sort of things, right? Um, uh, whereas in the home, price is extremely important and yet people are willing to spend a lot of time, if you're into that kind of thing, fixing their own problems. And so uh, where you, the shape of the curve is determined by the attributes of the product against the market that it's trying to reach. And and as long as we look at it as a broad thing, we will always under, be wrong on our adoption predictions. Um, I, I fundamentally think we've done this for gaming specifically. I think we've chosen, we've, we've absolutely made a mistake by choosing to think that, um, that uh, the disruptive curve of being you know, suppressed, 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 followed by an explosion where everybody adopts it overnight in gaming is not an adoption curve. I think the data would, I mean, those curves exist for a reason, and those reasons don't seem to exist to me in VR and gaming, but they do exist in other places like exercise and utilities. Um, and then by the way, that doesn't mean that you don't have adoption. It just means that that shape of the curve can be different. You can still have a dominant product that just adopts the regular shape. Um, so anyway, this, it's, it, that's a bit of a non-answer, but uh, I think every single one of those verticals has its own, um, and, and so therefore all of them is the way we will go <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at different rates yeah. in their own time. Yeah, I um, my two cents is that uh, at what point at some point hopefully someone will uh, will create a like a, a virtual reality social network for fitness where I can like you know go box and go train with people box or like run or play tennis or like do like active VR games kind of like rec room but for like fitness you know yeah. <laughs> which ironically enough you think rec room would be because it's called rec room but. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yes. I, I, so we actually had a game that we were like, and still are kind of playing around with, but we got, we got pulled into kind of a larger picture where we'll have to come back to it. Um, but what we referred to is a uh, dungeon, like dungeon G Y M dungeon. Um, and this is the game that I want to play in VR and exercise. Um, and it was built on the kind of three pillars, which was one, um, one is that monsters would be bigger than you and you'd fight with daggers. It would be an RPG game, you'd, you know, dungeon crawler. And uh, so you had to like strike like the upper left shoulder or the lower left right knee and stuff like that. So the combat itself would be highly active. Uh, and then we were going to take each one of those monsters and benchmark them against the metabolic equipment in the lab so that we could say, for you, we expect this monster to burn between 25 and 35 calories. And so if you want to burn 500 calories for your workout, we'll just generate a dungeon with the right shape, size, put the right monsters in there, and you just clear it out, right? That's your, that's your exercise for the day. Um, the second kind of pillar was what we referred to as game-to-life level up, uh, which was uh, essentially as you play through the game, your character gets better and better, right? He gets weapons and power-ups and, and levels up just like any other game. Um, but... Each level would be a week of exercise. So if you wanted a seven-week exercise plan, it would be seven levels deep. And each level would be gated at the end of it by a boss who represented the average difficulty in terms of physical movement uh, of, the, of the enemies in the next level below, right? So if you went in and were not able to defeat the boss at the end of the game, you would have to kind of keep physically improving yourself, getting yourself better in shape so that when you finally do get to the second level, you're capable of surviving. Theoretically, if you jump directly to level seven without going through one through six, you would you would you would exhaust yourself in the first two guys you run into, right? Um, but this idea that you'd have a game character that's leveling up, and in sync with that would be your your personal uh, your, your own personal character leveling up um, was part of it. And then the, the third one was was the responsive, the AI perfected exercise uh, loop, which is where we have a heart rate monitor that connects to an app uh, that connects to a server, and then the server is available via API for the game to call at any point in time and understand what your exercise targets are. And so the game is constantly pushing you to get more and more exercise, but then also watching your engagement and your success rate and backing the game off as necessary to keep you at the best exercise with the most engagement possible. And that's the AI component of it that I think is going to be really disruptive in the future. Have you ever seen the movie Speed or, or Crank? I have, but I so, don't understand why you're asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Follow me down to the rabbit hole here. Sure. Because I, 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 have a, I have a random idea that I think I think might be the killer application for fitness. Okay. What if you tied my, um, my score in the game to my bank account? And so, and so basically you'll say, all right, Chris, you need to have your heart rate above 120 beats per minute for the next 10 minutes or else every time it goes below that, we're going to take off five bucks off your bank account. Yep. I, there, there's actually a number of different kind of, um, packed apps where you like bet somebody into a pool. There's one I lost at least $150 off of, um, Whoa. <laughs> because you'd go in and you would, you would bet um, that you will exercise a certain amount. And then as long as everybody in the group does exactly what they bet, um, everybody gets exactly their money back. But if somebody fails to hit their targets, the group gets that does hit the targets gets everybody else's money. <laughs> um, and so as long as you hit your, your targets, you will break even or you'll make money. And then, and then you just kind of take money from all the people who fail 
And uh, and I think there's there's some data out there that suggests that sort of stuff actually can be very effective. Um, so here's the thing to me. This is something that Dr. Kern taught me that I, I didn't know of, which is that in, in kinesiology, um, the predictive ability of rewarding somebody after an exercise is actually not very great. Uh, people, if you, you say we're gonna give, you're going to lose weight, you'll get some sort of candy at the end of it, whatever it's going to be, uh, exercise, like promising something after the exercise is not like useful for telling whether they're going to stick with it or not. Um, but if the, the exercise itself is fun, uh, it is the candy, then that's a really good predictor of whether or not somebody's going to stick with it. And, and then you take the social component like you're just talking about and say, okay, let's make the exercise something you want to do anyways, and then also connect it to the fact that you can go with friends, right? I want to go, dun the, part of the reason I like the name Dungeon is I want to go on dungeon runs with friends. I want to get off work, I want to go down to the gym, and I want to go raid for my exercise, right? Uh, with, with, with a whole bunch of other people taking on a monster or something. And, um, and when we get to that point, uh, or I want to do it, you know, in AR, uh, running around the park. <laughs> um, like when we get to that point, I think it'll be, it'll be that and a bazillion other variations of that will be very powerful. Yeah. It'll be amazing because you'll be like, uh, you'll have so much, so many hours slaying monsters. And then when you're walking down the street, people like will pull up their AR headsets and they'll see your score and they'll be like, holy crap, there he goes. Yeah. There goes the and, dragon and the reality slayer. is, is this to be like. We're all just chasing Pokemon, really, right? <laughs> so I, won't, I have another question, and I'll start with Dr. Kern. What what questions do you see yourself exploring in the future when it when when it comes to the intersection of kinesiology and virtual reality? Well, I think we've already started doing some, which is really nice. Getting the psychological component in. In actuality, we've pretty much shown very clearly that you get the exercise if you are playing the game that you can increase your metabolism and, and hence get exercise by the definition of exercise. But that whole psychological point that Aaron's referred to and you've referred to that can hook somebody in, and the fact, as Aaron was saying, that you could change the game, if you got a little bored with playing this game, then I have a feeling that people, once we get that psych component and understand it a little bit more, and we can make sure that the games that we're offering people will stimulate them to a point that they'll keep wanting to come back. And I think when what Aaron was referring to before, the, the data for people who join gyms and exercise programs, they pay for their gym membership for a year. The first two months, they'll be in there on a regular basis. After the third month, they don't ever come back. And it's like for 70% of the population that January 1st join a gym. So we would like to see if we can come up with a way that will keep people motivated to continue to exercise, not just do that for the first two months and then say, forget it, it's too hard. And the populations that we'd like to see, we'd love to see the elderly population have a chance to do these things. Um, kids, obviously, with the level of childhood obesity that we have growing in this country, if they'll play these video games and they can actually get some exercise out of it, whereas they wouldn't go outside and go run around the track or anything else, at least they're doing something that is positive, and perhaps that'll make them stick with it. So I'm hoping that's where we're headed. Awesome. Anything you wanted to add, Aaron? I, I think that was actually really well said. Perfect. Um, how do and so going back I, and we've sort of circled around this this uh, this subject a bit 
Uh, but but let's go right into it. Like how do how do we get rid of the stigma? Like like um, you, you people like will we ever uh, be able to like convince people who are dug in their heels saying that VR isn't exercise no matter what you do? Like yeah. yeah. So so that's a hard one, right? Because I'm a I'm a believer in the tipping points kind of mechanism of that 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 first you have a core group of people who are dedicated and really hardcore and they kind of validate, they're the experts and they kind of validate for the, for the talkers. I can't remember the terms for it, right? But the validator like, says this is really, really good and then the person who's very social spreads the message. Um, mm -hmm. our, our, we're a little bit on our head with this because I think um, the group that's most resistant to, to the idea of you know, uh, no pain, all the gain or whatever you wanted to phrase it, right? Um, less pain no, in, in all gain or whatever. But like that group is actually the ones that would normally be, they're the ones that vouch for CrossFit and P90X and these things. They're the ones that are the experts that then share the message to others. And they're the most skeptical of us because they're the ones that spent so much of their time um, in these other systems and also learning the, the stigma about games and exercise. Um, it's, it's hard, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, to realize that the VR and AR is a, is a system that is fundamentally mobile. Like whether it's just looking left and right and sitting, it's still more energy movement than traditional gaming. And, you know, I would, I would estimate that probably around 30% of the games on the market actually are qualify as, as, as exercise. Um, it's, it's fundamentally uh, different than what we've dealt with before. And so um, to answer your question, I think, I think doing what we're doing with the VR Health Institute is, I mean, our goal is to try to accelerate something that we consider to be inevitable, but to accelerate it by, two, you know, bring it two or three years farther in so it happens earlier. Um, I think providing solid, reliable data that's accurate, not over-promising or under-promising um, is important. And then encouraging and building, and then the, from, a, from an investment and mentorship side, where I tend to spend my, my day also, it's figuring out how to build uh, an ecosystem and a financial marketplace that allows people to be finding the developers be financially rewarded for building games with health as a part of the design process, um, as a setting in the back somewhere or as a primary function of the game. Like right now, we haven't aggregated that community of exercisers enough to make it a viable independent market, um, but we can. And once we do that, I think it'll go a long way. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to fill me in a bit more? Perhaps you or Dr. Dr. Kern can speak a bit more about the process of quantifying this VR exercise data. Like, what is, what does it look like? If if like imagine I'm a five year old. Like, how would you explain this the process to me? Because um, I know you guys are hooking people to all these different machines, and um, yeah, I come from a completely different background. So yeah, I like to get a bit more context as to you know what that looks like. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we uh, how we measure these things, um, and as you said, it's it's big equipment and it's in the lab. Though there are other pieces that we're trying to play with now that would make it easier. You actually have like a mask over your face. It goes up above your on the on the bridge of your nose and then down around your chin to collect all of the air that you expire, and it's open to the room air. So you inspire that and then you breathe on out. And we collect that data that comes out. And from that, we have calculations that will tell you how much oxygen you're actually taking in and utilizing. 
So we do those measurements. And as Aaron had mentioned, we do a VO2 max test, which is the volume of oxygen that your body can consume at its highest point. So the maximum amount you could possibly do. So that's our benchmark. That's when you are at exhaustion and done as much as you can. On the other hand, we measure you at rest when you're just sitting there doing nothing. There is basically a quantification for that, which is a small number, 3.5 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight. And so we use that as your rest point, and then we have your highest point, your VO2 max, and then we measure these gains with that same set of headgear on and heart rate monitors and quantify all of this physiological stuff for each one of the games and for what you did just doing a maximal kind of exercise. And we use treadmill running because most people in this country, walking or running is better than on a bicycle ergometer, but you can easily do both. So then we take all of that information and quantify the game compared to what other standard measures there are for any kind of exercise. So to try to get people to understand this, if I'm talking to a five-year-old, I'm telling them we're going to do these kind of activities, and then we just want them to have fun. We put the head, headset on them, put the mask over their face, and collect these numbers, and we could tell them how hard they're actually exercising in comparison to their personal maximal level of exercise. Are you at 30%, 50%, of your maximal capabilities? And from that, we'd say, okay, you need to do that for 20 minutes a day, or you need to do that for 30 minutes a day. And if we can get them to say, oh, okay, well, I could try and do that, then maybe we can get them to at least give it a shot. It's very, very interesting. A lot of these kids um, in the last several months, We've gotten requests from individuals who are in seventh and eighth and ninth grade that are using or thinking about using VR based on the facts that we've talked about that you can get some exercise for astronauts in space. They're trying to figure out a way that they can use this information to help the astronauts stay healthy while they're up circling around on the space station or taking a long flight. And these kids are contacting us via the internet to get our ideas of how we could possibly do that. So I, I think some somebody's listening because they found us and they're in New York and Arizona and they're calling us on the phone. So it's great. I mean, it, I think they're starting to get the idea that we can use virtual reality for good exercise. I think I will, Chris, I'll layer on top of that one more thing. So, so that's the data collection side of things, too. And then for the ratings, um, there's, a, there's a little bit more nuance to it as well. So. The the way say we rate a game like Thrill the Fight as a rowing equivalent. I, I don't remember what it actually is, but mm. let's say it's a rowing equivalent. Um, what what that means is that we we collect we kind of rate a game on two different points. One is the overall average of like what the overall met score was for that game in a thirty minute playtime, um, and then we also rate it or collect what we refer to as the peak five minute average. Uh, which means that we look through the data and find the point of kind of the highest ex energy expenditure for the game and then look at the two minutes and 30 seconds before and after it and average that as well. And we publish both those data points. We used to use uh, the, the peak five minute average as the rating point um, because rating games is pretty complicated. There's a lot of assumptions you have to make, like a good player versus a bad player. Are they spending their entire time goofing around in the tutorial or are they spending time on on level three, which is high exercise, right? And so um, what we decided originally was 
that uh, if you were playing the game for the purpose of exercise, um, not going out of the way for exercise, but not avoiding it either, you're just a typical player, you would probably play the levels that required, you know, exercise. Um, and so, you know, we don't rate the tutorials. We rate the gameplay as the average player will play it. Nowadays, we use the uh, overall average to do the rating because we are finding that if you do the peak average, um, uh, there's a lot of games that are qualifying very, very high um, because there are moments in the game that were extremely um, energetic, but then the overall game would be be less, right? So like uh, Beat Saber is a good example of a game that has a pretty consistent average met score. Like it's, it's energy burn from the beginning to end of the game is pretty consistent. But even then you have to make some assumptions about the skill level of the player because if you're playing really good game, you have really hard songs versus easy songs, it makes a difference. So, um, so yeah, when, when you actually look at one of our ratings, think of it more like, um, uh, like the Guinness Book of World Records. And there's, there's, very possible and almost certain in fact that there are outside there are people in the world who have done better than what the best of the Guinness Book of World Records is. But what the Guinness Book of World Records shows is um, we can say that under controlled conditions, uh, we have observed at least this degree of calorie burn. So at least this degree of calorie burn is known to be possible in this game. You might get more or you might get less based upon how you play the game, but at least it's possible. That makes sense. Have you have you seen this information influence consumer decisions? Like like people have reached out to you and said, "Hey, you know, I've been looking for something to work out and a workout game in VR, and mm -hmm. I ended up Reddit ended up draw, like leaving me here, and now I'm checking this out, and it's yeah, because that's literally what happened to me. Like I I was looking for like a VR fitness game, and then somehow Reddit, you know, sent me straight to your to the VR mm -hmm. Health Institute site, and um, you know, and then I was able to decide and like to have a better like l look and sort of understanding at like, all right, well, I know something like Sprint Vector might be a little too easy for me, mm -hmm. um, and maybe Thrill of the Fight might be too intense, uh, but it looks like uh, you know Beat Saber is right in that happy medium. I think mm -hmm. I'll try that one. Like, people have reached out to you, or have you seen uh, people, mm -hmm. you know, like. Uh, using it so far yeah absolutely like and and you it's about half and half about half of people are coming there because they're looking for games that are exercise and they get redirected to us um we've we've you know at this point in time the i don't remember the last stats but i think we had had six or seven hundred thousand people come to the site in the last whatever time um so it's it, people are coming and certainly engaging with it um then the other half of people are coming through like they're coming in from the exercise perspective and discovering VR. So some people are VR enthusiasts discovering exercise. Others are exercise enthusiasts discovering VR. And um, it's, you know, the mainstream media has covered the second of those two. Like, so when CNN sent a crew out to, to film things and when the Discovery Channel came out, um, you know, Wall Street Journal, when they wrote about it, they were all covering it from the standpoint of, hey, people who are exercising, there's a new exercise technology that might be interesting soon. Um, but what the site itself actually tends to get used by is the other side, which is um, the people who are looking for ways of proving that something that they think might be true already, which is, am I exercising in VR? Can I feel good about the fact that I spent the last 45 minutes playing Beat Saber, or do I have to feel guilty about that? And the answer is, don't feel guilty. It's good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. And Dr. Kern, do you have... Um... Through your experience, have you seen students like try the VR device to have you know go through the whole experience and then like come back to you and say, "Hey, 
like this is super cool how do i get more involved or like is this like is this inspiring them to like want to pursue you know vr and 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 kinesiology deeper or do they sort of just see this and like you know move on with their lives because you know you know tiktok is uh, out there uh we've seen a little bit of both um certainly the student body at san francisco state that's been so helpful and being the subjects, whenever they get this chance to play video games free of charge, most of them are really happy to do that. <laughs> and, and so they enjoy it. And then we have other students um, that are in our graduate program who got a chance to be a, a participant or be a subject in a couple of the first studies. And, and now they're looking for a thesis project. And they'll come to myself or my colleague, Dr. Bagley, who are the two that have kind of been the head of the whole program at State. Um, and say, are there any other things else that you guys would like to study? Or a couple of them have come in and say, I've got an idea about this. Could we do that with the VR? So yeah, it's it's inspiring. It's something that this generation in particular, most of them were raised on. And so they're very up on all the latest games and, and they just want to be a part of it. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to ask you guys a question about pricing. You know, when they're figuring out what is the right price for a <laughs> VR fitness experience, that is not an easy question. And I try to answer it myself once because um, I myself tried to do a little, like, I tried a little experiment of a company, um, and it was like a, I became a, a VR personal trainer for a few mm -hmm. weeks. Mm -hmm. And I would use Creed, the boxing game, um, to virtually train people in VR, like like, uh, and it was um, really really good fun. We I would teach people how to punch, how to like do the actual like you know the spin of the punch, and like and people would see that, and then they would follow me, and then and then we would like spar, and then we would do squats, and I could see them squatting, and it was really satisfying to like try to incorporate that mm -hmm. like fast pace mm -hmm. sort of gameplay with body weight training. And then I calculated, all right, right now, um, there are people out there who are teaching kids how to play Fortnite, and they're charging $35 an hour for teaching co Fortnite coaching. And then there are personal trainers out there um, who are charging, any, like, you know, it just here in the Bay Area, they're charging around $60 an hour. Like, that's the average for personal training. And so I was like, all right, well... You know, I know I I know what I'm putting out there as a v, VR personal trainer is just as good, if not better, than a Fortnite coach. Mm -hmm. So, in order to make myself competitive, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my price at $35 an hour for mm -hmm. training sessions, and mm -hmm. I thought that was reasonable. Um, but I'm wondering, like, what is your calculus in terms of figuring out like what is the right price? for VR exercise experiences. I, I think you should talk to somebody like Tim Donahue because he's been working in that, in the, the, the issue is that you're advertising a service that most people don't know what it is or what its value is. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you're kind of solving a need that people know that they have, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a valid need. It just means that you can't advertise it very easily. And, um, you know, one of the things that we discovered uh, in, in the, at, at VR Fit in Columbus um, was that advertising VR exercise was not effective, meaning that if you put a sign up that says, 
we offer VR exercise classes to somebody who is just an average gym goer and doesn't know what VR is, which the vast, vast majority of them are not, don't know what that is. Like the feedback we got on the logos and stuff like that was like, VR could be ZY, right? You could be advertising ZY exercise and everybody like, okay, what hell? I don't know what that is, right? It has no value to it. So what, what we found was a, lot, a little bit more effective was to advertise the things that you could do with VR that you couldn't do otherwise. And so we came up with this kind of advertising approach of saying like, um, you know, X thing burns calories. Uh, being a hero burns calories. Uh, with a big poster and pictures of like somebody, you know, playing a heroic game or, um, you know, uh, sh shooting arrows burns calories. And my favorite one, which we never use, but um, which is drinking beer burns calories for the drunken bar fight game. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but it, and, and so it, like, it's one thing to have somebody on a treadmill staring at a wall for 30 minutes, uh, a sign that says XR, you know, VR, VR exercise upstairs. It's another thing to have them staring at the same wall that says drinking beer burns calories, check upstairs. <laughs> right? One of those gets people to ask about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, and then you say, okay, well, if you, if you can't even advertise to somebody effectively what VR is to get them interested to even inquire about it, then how do you charge for it? And so we're still in that phase right now where it's, I think, I think it's going to have to go from the other way around. It's going to have to be people who are already interested in VR who are discovering that it's exercise, and they will build the credibility. Uh, they will ultimately be that expert group that builds credibility. Um, and then eventually it will grow into uh, to a larger community. Yeah, uh, to me it's interesting that you've started doing this, Chris, because you know for the longest time in the field of exercise, physicians would say to somebody eventually if they were enlightened physicians, you need to start moving, you need to start walking, you need to do some exercise. But the physician or nurses uh, or any of those individuals really had any expertise to allow them to actually give an exercise prescription. So now the exercise community has certifications that you need to take a course, you need to pass uh, a written exam, some of them also a practical exam showing that you actually do know the safe way to lift this much weight or to do whatever it is you're trying to be certified in. And I could see eventually there would be something like that for someone who is actually a VR fitness supervisor or coach. But you need to have something behind you that says you're a credible person. So like you're talking about these these other guys that are charging 30 bucks an hour, is that because they played 200 hours of that game, so therefore they're qualified to coach somebody? Or, mm -hmm. or what? But, they have a, uh, a score. They, they'll say like, hey, this is my ranking in the game. And they'll say, and they'll like, oh, and they'll flex. They'll be like, this is my, I have a high score. I have a high rank, hang, I'm a high ranking player. And that, mm -hmm. therefore, that means that I'm pretty good at the game. So hire me. I'll teach you what I know. And that's sort of how that goes. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, yeah. and so for me, like, I, and, and sorry to interrupt, but I'm thinking like, you know, at some point, it, what's going to happen is a VR social app is going to tap into fitness and that, is going to create a networking effect wherein the more people are using it, the more people are going to like, you know, the more value the thing will have. And therefore, mm -hmm. like, you know, seeing an ad would be amazing, but like hearing my friends be like, hey, Chris, let's go, let's go in social VR and let's go do some, uh, let's go do some training. Let's go play some Frisbee. Let's go like do some, uh, yep. you know, some boxing. And by the way, your score is going to be there. So we're going to like, 
brag and we're going to brag you for the rest of the week until next weekend if you lose and i'm going to be like all right you know eye of the tiger time morphin time i'm gonna get in there and do that thing so yep i uh i, I that's coming and that's and it's only a matter of time and i'm just hope i'm i'm just wondering again like how are you anticipating that and how are you going to tap into that those communities when they when they start forming up um, yeah, well, I mean, I think our goal is to try to be as, as embedded in the foundation of those companies, in those communities as we possibly can mm-hmm. by providing reliable, objective information and also being in a position to encourage the development of tools that empower those communities. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really, really exciting future. Dr. Kern, Aaron, um, are there any other thoughts? that are trapped inside your hearts that you want to <laughs> let out before we start bringing things to a close? Many, but I think I'll, I'm okay for now. <laughs> I, w- I will add one thing. I gave a brief talk in January to a group of seniors. It w- it's a, an Italian uh, citizens club in San Francisco. I don't think anyone in the room was younger than 55. And there were probably 20 people in the room. And at the end of my presentation on this, I had half of them come up and ask me about where they could get this and that they would they would like to have something like this in their home. And I told them to come to the lab and try and check things out. And some of the price points have come down considerably. Mm-hmm. This population money was not an issue. But I was just excited that this group of seniors saw the value possibly having something set up in one of their extra rooms to go in and exercise that was going to be fun mm-hmm. instead of having to go to a gym. And I think uh, that's just another example of once people start hearing this, then they start thinking a little bit more and say, hey, yeah, I can do that. Yep. So I think that's a positive. As soon as you start thinking about VR as exercise equipment that is just incredibly flexible, I think mm-hmm. it's a fundamental difference from how we've been looking at it to date. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some growing pains for sure, but I'm I'm excited that you both are in this, like pioneering at the tip of the spear, making this happen. Because <laughs> I don't know anyone else who's like this deep into it. Like, well, actually, I knew know a few people, but like this deep into this kind of research, like um, you you're you're an anomaly. <laughs> Uh, you're, and, and I, I like that. I appreciate that. I, I admire that. And um, how can people stay in touch, follow up with all the things you're doing and all that good stuff? Uh, and well, obviously the website, vrhealth.institute uh, is a great place to go. Um, there's a Facebook page for that. Um, and also there's contact information for all of us on the, the website. So if somebody wanted to send an email, follow up that they're absolutely more than welcome to to me personally. Um, mm-hmm. Same is true for me. And mine's a, a San Francisco State email address. That's all listed there on the Institute website. Perfect. Dr. Kern and Aaron, I have conclusively concluded that you are both a, a lady and a scholar uh, <laughs> and a gentleman of virtual reality. And I, I can't wait to have you back on the show. The doors are perpetually open for you. And thank you once again. All right. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris.